And welcome to another edition of the Beer Vana Podcast. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Patrick. Uh, I am Patrick Emerson, professor of economics at Oregon State University. You can find me tweeting at Beeronomics. And I'm Jeff Allworth, author, most recently, of The Widmer Way. You can find me blogging. Are you blogging. seriously? I, really? That's true. That's wow. a true story. How many pages was it? So, no. Here I... Here I I finally gave you what you wanted. And I stepped on your intro. And you stepped on my intro. I'm never doing that again. <laughs> yeah, that was a bad way to do it. Yeah. I no, don't like that way. You've, you've screwed us, man. I think I should just introduce everybody and everything. Oh, okay. I think well, you should just stay out of the way. We'll try it. it I we'll... think all you do is hold me back, man. <laughs> <laughs> we'll try it, uh, it the third way. Besides, uh, you're, you're too modest. I am most recently at the Widmer Way, also of the Beer Bible, also of Secrets of the Master Brewers. True. And many other things. Well, I just thought, you know, we would get to the the meat of things quickly, and I'll just promote my latest book. But uh, but I didn't even get to finish that sentence because you stepped on it. So I am... Oh, yeah. What are you? Jeff Allworth, author most recently of The Widmer Way. You can find me blogging and tweeting at Beervana. That's Boom. right. Very good. It was elegant and brief, but you stepped on me, man. <laughs> Getting off to a great start here. <laughs> I think by now, maybe we don't even need introductions. It, we're... We're that. We're that for, for two men who need no introduction. Exactly. <laughs> you know who we are. Uh, welcome everyone to the Virvana Podcast. Uh, as always, recently we are now in the studios of X Ray FM, starting to you know Portland, Oregon. Kind of feeling like know, it's, it feels like home. It feels a little bit. We've, like spilled, home here. we've spilled enough beer. I know. We've and they, of, we kind of made the studio our own. They keep letting us come back, so that's good. Uh, yeah, because we have now. Uh, someone who knows what they're doing behind the board, Will Romy. Hi, Will. <laughs> our producer. And uh, our producer is going to help us with this uh, podcast today because today's podcast is a special Cinco de Mayo edition. That's right. You, until until this uh, episode, Will has just been visible in the incredibly improved production values. But we're actually going to bring him a, to pod adjacent and maybe uh, even put him on the mic. So this is a, an exciting new watershed moment here at the Birvana podcast. <laughs> yeah, so about 10 days ago, well, that depends on when we put this out. That's right. A short recently. time ago, recently, <laughs> <laughs> we all reveled in that great Mexican-American celebration. Yeah, highlight the American. Yeah. Cinco de Mayo, the most important date in the Mexican calendar for all Mexicans. Uh, <laughs> I, I, apparently, you also know that it's mostly an American holiday. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I've actually talked about this on a previous pod, but yeah, that was a long time a, ago. It's true. Uh, it's the Battle of Puebla, right, that it some kind of minor anyway uh what better time to have a look at one of those uh, of the hottest segments in the american beer scene right now mexican lagers and not just hot in terms of beer sales but hot in terms of craft beer that's right although they are very similar to ma american mass market lagers there's something special about them that seems to thrill drinkers we are going to discuss the history of these beers and then sit down to do an old-fashioned blind tasting to see if we can locate what makes them so popular i mentioned this because at least in portland oregon you that was a pretty good intro. You got to. That was. Uh, that was. That was one uh, of your better ones. That was yeah. some sprightly. And I think there. I did that sort of justice. You did. I, you I did. did. You, did you brought well. some theatricality to it. All right. Some good voice inflection. And and thus ends our meta analysis of our own podcast. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Let's talk more about how we're podcasting. Uh, no. What I'm going to say is that in Portland, Oregon, at least, and I'd be interested to know those of you out there in podcast land. You can let us know. Is this a trend that's happening in other parts of the country as well? Is that craft beer brewers are starting to brew Mexican-style lagers? That's right. There's a lot of uh, breweries in town who have one. Uh, we're even going to shoehorn one in here because today what we're going to do is we're going to do a taste-off, as we mentioned. Yeah. And we're going to include a craft beer version. And we're not doing all the Mexican beers because there's actually a lot of them. And we're not even doing all the varieties because uh, there are 
pale lagers and amber lagers. Yeah, we're not even doing the most popular one because... I forgot it at home. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, good. Sorry uh, so, sorry, Modelo. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, if you go back to a, uh, one of our earlier podcast, earliest podcasts, you'll see that we drink Modelo on, on the podcast. So you can get your own Modelo fix that way. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's a very exotic beer that no one will have had. So, uh, they'll, yeah, hard yeah. to find. That's but right. if, you can, if you can locate a Modelo... <laughs> Uh, you can add it to the collection. So you you travel a lot. Are Mexican beers as easy to find off the West Coast as they are on the West Coast? Uh, yeah, I mean in the U.S. I think so. Yes, yeah. uh, these kinds of Mex- Mexican beers that we're talking because you know Mexican food as we have transformed it into it's, Tex-Mex. It's more it's more common to find it in it's places you now. didn't used to find it. It's yeah, like now. Uh, I, I, my wife Sally, as everyone knows, my wife mm-hmm. is a Mainer, and yeah. uh, she described the way she was raised and how her mom at one point in the 70s was like, I'm going to make tacos. And she never really had a, a an actual Mexican taco and did, you know, one of those Chef Boyardee kind of things in the hard shells. And Yeah, it's uh, one of those things, I'll, I will say, because I travel a bit uh, outside the country, it's one of those things that uh, for a long time growing up, you know, we grew up sort of after the, after the popularization of Tex-Mex. And so it's something you sort of take for granted. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then it's you a travel, big part of my diet. And I then you love. travel the world and you realize that for a long time it hadn't really traveled. So I remember being in London. This was probably in the early 2000s. Uh, and I don't know why. I think I was just at a hotel and there happened to be sort of like this Tex-Mex restaurant around the corner. And I thought, oh, you know, that sounds kind of good. I'm tired of boiled peas and... <laughs> battered fish which you're a a a subject of the queen as a brit myself yes i (laughs) you're allowed to say pains me to say pains me to say but i was born and raised in the u.s so uh and i went there and it was pretty bad yeah it was not at all what i would consider uh tex-mex food or even decent mexican food but um but i bet now if i went back to london there would be a thousand good places absolutely london i bet you can get anything in london so i think that uh mexican beer has traveled with Tex-Mex food. Sorry, Mexicans, for bastardizing your food and sending it around the world. But it's what we do. <laughs> but at least we sell your beer for you. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So I think actually you can find uh, Mexican beer. Uh, it's pretty widespread now. Yeah. All right. Uh, so we'll, we'll get back to the Mexican beer. But of course, before we do that, we got to talk about the news. Local blog, The New School, reported on a new Uber Portlandy product, a hopped wine. This uh, <laughs> was horrible. this was uh, well, you know, it comes. Uh, but I, I keep an open mind. That's right. Um, Libertine Wine has introduced hopped up on goofballs. Okay. A white wine. That's exactly ma- what I would expect for. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> a white wine uh, made with citra and mosaic cryo hops, which are the the lupulin powder product. Um, it's not the first hop wine though. Buttonwood Farms in Napa made a white oh. wine blend last year called Hop On. So my question to you, Patrick, is this a trend or a passing fad? A fad, for sure. I, I mean, don't think so. I mean, this is a thing that we saw in cider. And and the, the cool thing is, let's wait say... Wait a minute, you, the hop ciders? Uh, good Lord, man. <laughs> if you listeners could see the look that Jeff just gave me. <laughs> God. Uh, what (laughs) oh yeah hop ciders i know all about hop ciders jeff i don't know hop cider what are you talking about hop ciders yeah hop ciders are a big ass thing all right this is actually a good way to talk about wine why would you put hops in cider what does it do because you have crap cider 
So you've got, uh, okay. you've got, you're making, you're making your cider out of gala apples and they bring no interest. And uh, so what you do is you throw some hops in there and you get some nice, you know, dry hop character. And something to tell the punters. And, and also hops are, everybody loves hops, right? So the same, I think the same thing is with wine, right? You've got, um, a, a blend. A bunch of, a kind a crappy. And then sip it blend. You white wine. Yeah. Yeah. It makes all kinds hops. of sense. Brilliant. But I'm trying to think of. I mean, so what, <laughs> now, now if the listener could see your face, <laughs> you're. Uh, I'm not convinced. You're, you're the contempt <laughs> with which you hold a uh, hopped wine is clear. So would this is essentially be dry hopping. Yeah. You just throw it into sort of room temperature wine. Right. Yeah, that sounds terrible. <laughs> One vote in favor. <laughs> uh, okay, but I keep an open mind, That's, as in all things. Yeah, I see how wide your as mind the is scholar, open there. As the scholar, <laughs> I shall. Do an empirical analysis. All right. We'll get and us... I will give you my conclusion. So, yeah, we got to get some hopped wine. All right. I should have brought some, huh? That would have been good. No, we have no time for that. We have we have Mexican beer to taste. A professional would have brought hopped wine and we could talk about it. Yeah, but I didn't even bring the Modelo, man. What do you expect <laughs> from me? I can't believe it's sitting in your fridge. <laughs> and then how long is it going to remain in your fridge before it be, it, it's consumed? We'll see. Yeah. That's a that's a that's a that's and, a good until, question. Until Sally makes tacos. <laughs> All right. Uh, next item is a fascinating report from Brewbound. More and more breweries are skipping long-term hop contracts and purchasing them on the spot market. Ooh. 97% of uh, Brewer, Brewers Association member breweries, so craft breweries, had contracts in 2014, a number that was down to 89% in 2017 and 63% last year. Keep reading. More remarkably, few, fewer than half, 45% of breweries making less than 2,500 barrels have contracts now. Recent hop supplies, this is, yeah, this is the punchline, right? Re- yeah. Recent hop supplies have been robust, and three quarters of U.S. breweries didn't exist when the last hop, sh- hop shortage of 2007 2008 happened. And that's, and therein lies the tale, which is right. that everyone just assumes there's an abundance of hops. You can get whatever you want, whatever variety you want, whenever you want it, and you just buy it. Yep. And because the supply has been going up and up, prices have probably been coming down and down. And so to lock in a price ahead of time is a bad idea. And because well, pe- just wait, right? <laughs> and because breweries make so many beers, they probably like the flexibility of just being able to say, "Well, I'm gonna, you know, next month I'm gonna make these beers. I'm gonna try these hops, and I don't, want, you know, I don't want to have to try to figure out locking in a hop contract. It's gonna go three years down the line and right. try to figure out what to have there. Right. So that it also represents, I think, a slight shift in that market. But those brewers could be screwed if they don't have, you know, you're gonna want to have your Cascades and your Mosaics and your citrus. There are some, yeah, there are some hops you just keep in on. You can use them for anything. Yeah. pretty much anything you want to do. But it's true that it that breweries probably need to be more and more flexible, getting ready for whatever the next trend is. So I get that. And futures contracts are kind of weird. Yeah, They yeah. usually exist because of the, <clears throat> the variability of supply and the variability of prices. Yeah, it, it, it allows just, you to budget easily because you yeah. know I wonder, so cost. from the hops growers uh, standpoint, I wonder how they feel about it because it's nice to have that certainty. I'm sure they prefer the contracts i think the contracts make it easier for it gets a little nervous when it's harvest time you don't know who's buying your stuff yeah i think that's right yeah and Uh, now they have hop there were there were big hop surpluses so there's a lot of hops yeah so here's a question which is these are businesses craft breweries are businesses so suddenly there's a hop that there's a big supply not a lot of demand that's going to be a low price hop so we're going to see beers being driven by the market beer flavor profiles hop profiles being driven by market forces. Ooh, I can get a great deal on these Chinooks. I'm yeah. going to make a bunch of Chinook beer. going to be a big Chinook IPA. Okay. That would be fascinating. Could be. Probably not, though. Of course. What do you mean, probably not? 
There's economics, man. You don't ignore incentives. <laughs> well, that's the incentive, but you also have to sell that thing. And who wants a Chinook hot beer? Nobody. Well, that's the see, that's the art. You got to convince people that what you've been missing all this time is a Chinook beer. <laughs> I want I want that grating bitterness. Call mm. it call it tastes like, like the 90s. Call it salmon run. See, I'm 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 actually being I'm I'm being unnecessarily provocative because I'm really trying to goose the mailbag. So all the Chinook fans out there, I'm I'm, I'm hoping they rally to Chinook's defense. Yeah, that's right. You're going to hear from all those Chinook fans. <laughs> this is going to be bad. It's going to get ugly. <laughs> uh, no, but actually, that's really interesting. I didn't I had no idea. I know uh, it was a it was a fascinating story and and certainly something to keep our eye on. I, I loved uh, I love hearing things like that. It's like ooh, so interesting. Yeah, it'll turn around. I mean, once once suddenly you there's a a bad harvest or there's yeah. enough demand that's that you start having trouble finding high quality hops of the varieties you want then people will start going back to the that's right and the, market i think and those hop growers are in markets too and if there's an abundance and they can't sell them they're going to pull the hops out uh, the you know hops out of the field and then price is going to go up and then you're going to be caught with your pants yeah down. so it takes um you know this it takes what two years really two years, really two years yep. to to get a new variety out so you can't just you know, if all of a sudden the next big thing is the Oompa Loompa hop. That's a good name. Yeah. Probably trademarkable, uh, uh, too. Yeah, TM, by the way. <laughs> Don't try it. <laughs> Tastes like purple. Oompa Loompa beer. Uh, <laughs> I think we should get to the hop fields and we should start getting a hybrid hop. Okay. Thank you very much for the news, Jeff. Absolutely. Uh, now let's get back to the main topic. I have in That's front right. of me an array of Mexican-style beer. Yeah. Um, minus Modelo. Uh, but but before we but before we I'm not gonna let you forget this. No, it's gonna no, be the I, theme of the entire pod. I'm just gonna uh, keep hammering that thing home. I'm I'm getting the the sense of that thing. Uh, this is actually you know what this is the first moment where doing a high quality professional pod is actually biting us in the butt because normally we're three steps from your fridge. It's true. And that Modelo would be right there at our I know. disposal. All right. I know. But let's start actually. Uh, we have this. Like high tech German fridge, and it's a little mini thing because yeah. it's like super it is efficient, kind of like super Portlandy kind of. So I have those annoying. things tucked into all these places, and I have yeah. that Modelo. It's tucked in the the crisper. It's still it's sitting in the crisper. Yeah. So damn it. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll, we'll go home and drink it after this. <laughs> we can add an addendum to the pot. We can phone in an addendum. Yeah. Hey, that Modelo was pretty good. All right, uh, but I want to know more about how uh, beer came to Mexico and why is this the style that that Mexicans adopted. Uh, so why don't you tell us about the history of Mexican beer? Yeah, there's a fascinating story about how the Mexican... So the, the, the beers that we have in front of us are light lagers, but there's an amber lager tradition, which mm -hmm. is uh, uh, Negra Modelo and Victoria, and there's a few beers, uh, Dos Equis Amber. Dos Equis Amber, yeah. Um, these are actually Viennese-style beers, Vienna lagers. And fascinatingly, let me pull out my notes here. This actually comes straight from the beer Bible. I okay. don't know if you captured the sparkling prose and identified it, but in 1864, French actually ruled Mexico very briefly, and they installed Austrian Archduke Ferdinand Maximilian as the Mexican emperor, and I think he was there like less than five years or something like that, uh -huh. but what happened was he was way into beer, and so he brought brewers over, and he actually traveled with brewers, and those brewers were Viennese brewers, and they were making what? Vienna lager which had just been invented by Anton Dreyer mm -hmm. after his sojourn to England to see how they were making <laughs> pale ales right. uh, with his friend 
Gabriel Settlemeyer from the Spaten Brewery. Uh And they were the first two to develop uh, paler beers, um, uh, making a Munich malt in uh, Munich and Anton Dreyer made Vienna malt in in Vienna. And so those are the beers that they were making in Mexico in the mid-1800s. Okay, so the amber color came from the way that they were malting the barley. Right, so they were making Vienna lagers right. basically, and that tradition continues in the in the uh, the form of. Is those that beers the we first? Mentioned. So that's like the first major brewing tradition that was brought to Mexico. Well, interestingly, um, and I found this first on Wikipedia, but I actually dug a lot a little bit, and found, <laughs> found it elsewhere as well. The Spanish were making a barley brewery in fi- the 1540s in a brewery that didn't that wasn't very long lived. Right, in Mexico. In Mexico. And the significant part of that is they started growing barley in Mexico in the in the 1540s uh, oh. in order to make it. And there, there are a number of traditional Mexican uh, alcohols like pulque and chicha and other things like that. So these mm-hmm. were barley beers, European barley beers. Um, so barley has been around for a long time. Um, we're going to fast forward a few hundred years back to the 1800s. Then German immigrants started coming to uh, the New World, just right. like they came to North America. They went to Mexico, right. and those folks made uh, their own. They established their own breweries. So the the German tradition got established uh, uh, alongside the Austrian tradition there in Germany. And it's really what the, it was mostly the Germans, and there was even a Swiss guy who created one of the the early breweries there. Um, so that's how that that tradition of of lager brewing got started. It's actually that part of it with the German immigrants looks very much like the United States. So these these beers, Dos Equis Amber and Negro Modelo, they're brewed with Vienna malts today. Uh, I don't know, and these are really hard to find any info on. And I have okay. not gone down and toured those things, but I'll tell you, I have had Negro Modelo, which I really like. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have, it's probably my second favorite of the Mexican lagers. Okay, but I have yet to detect anything in there that tastes like any kind of roasted malt. Well, that's, yeah, that's why I I think they use caramel color. Exactly. That's what I've been told. <laughs> that's what I've been told. I've been I'm turning to the expert to ask, but yeah. you don't know the answer. But that's what I have been told. Like, Dos Equis Amber is just caramel color in there. I, it, in ta- it really tastes I don't know like if that's a rumor or true, but yeah. It yeah, well, does, it, yeah, you don't taste a lot of malt. You really so, don't. Um, yeah. So, um, so, well, that's fa- so that's fascinating. So, for the brief period, this was just like a few years in the 1860s. France ruled Mexico, but because of that, they they left the legacy of Vienna lagers. Yeah, and 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 they had this art, this uh, who knew Austrian archduke there. Yeah, so unfortunately, that legacy might be entirely gone because they just substitute caramel color for Vienna malt. Well, it's a you know it's the lineage though, unbroken lineage. All right, but then come the Germans. Then come the just Germans. like in the U.S., they bring with them their lager beer, and and they make uh, the beers that we know of. We so we've got in front of us Pacifico, uh, which Hugh and I both think is our favorite, and now we're going to put that to the test, and that's yeah, always dangerous. That's be bad. We have Corona Extra, the classic Corona. We also have something I found in the grocery store called Corona Familiar. Yes, am I pronouncing that right? And I tried to look this up, uh, for best I can tell. I don't know if this is apocryphal or not, so don't take this to the bank, but. Uh, they claim this is more like the Corona that they drink domestically, and and Corona Extra is the lighter one that they send to the export market. But who knows? Who knows? Estrella Jalisco. Estrella Jalisco. And then we have two control beers with us. Well, and of course the missing Modelo, the missing which Modelo. would have been a really important so we'll beer. So yeah, we'll make a little space That's for right. that. We'll have we'll bring remember. have we'll, we'll bring out an empty we'll glass. Tip, yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll spill a little beer. In, in memory of the Modelo. Then we have two control beers because I'm I'm curious to find out is is there something distinctive about these uh, often corn made uh, light lagers, much like corn made American light lagers? Yes. Uh, 
that distinguishes them from North American examples yes. or uh, American examples. And so we have a control. We have Miller High Life. We have the Champagne of Beers. And the Champagne of Beers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we also have a second control, which is one of these uh, locally made craft Craft examples. Mexican lagers, yeah. Yeah, and this is kind of a famous one locally. I think maybe the, the one that sells the best, uh, Ex Novo's, the most interesting lager in the world. Yes. Very nice name. Uh, which, speaking of uh, Dos Equis, was there. It's a riff on their own uh, marketing campaign. And it, and certainly, uh, my guess is it was uh, a way they were able to completely steal that, that ad campaign without violating trademark law. So that was uh, <laughs> well, kudos to you, Ex Novo. Now that we've publicized it, <laughs> the letter might be on its way. That's right, because uh, certainly executives at Dos Equis listen to this podcast. So uh, f- to your mind, these light loggers from Mexico, are they different? To my mind, they are not different, although I... I have always felt, and I'm certain it's probably wrong, but I've always felt that Pacifico is my favorite of all the light lagers. Actually, except the uh, the Japanese, I even like more. So I really like Sapporo the best, and it, it is distinctive. And I think I could pick it out of the lineup. But I think that not, I, not Asahi Super Dry. No, uh, Sapporo is even drier. So oh, it, when you drink Asahi Sap- is super dry though. What when you drink Sapporo, you're actually. Uh, you you like you dehydrate. You dehydrate. That's exactly <laughs> That's what happens. Dry it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's it's that dry. All right. Uh, uh, but Pacifico is my favorite of the uh, uh, say North American varieties. But I think it's probably just because it's got the coolest label, yeah. and the bottle is also really nice. That elegant long neck. I don't know. Yeah. Which I see that the Corona. Uh, in my local, in my local restaurant, the Pacifico is what they have on on tap. So that's, uh-huh. yeah, that's they I have mean. it at the Matador too. And sometimes I don't get the uh, pr- uh, Ninkasi Prismatic, which um, hold hold that thought. We'll talk about that later. Uh, no, we already talked about that last time. Man. Yeah, but I next think, time, man. <laughs> it's next time. I know we're all confused here. <laughs> anyway, forget the Ninkasi pris- Prismatic, but um, sometimes I do drink. Uh, uh, especially on a hot day, it's nice to go over there and have some nachos in the Pacifico. Yeah, I mean, I drink Japanese beer when I have sushi. I drink Mexican beer when I have Tex-Mex. You got to do it. Yeah. All right. So, should we taste these things and see what we can find out with our our tongues and noses, and then we'll uh... we should. We're going to take a little break so we do this the right way, which is a real blind tasting. So, producer Will is going to help us by pouring uh, this into six uh, unmarked. Well, they're marked, but unlabeled glasses yep uh and so we'll take a break and do that and then we'll be back with the exciting test let's do it okay we are back and we have uh will Romy with us hello listeners (laughs) (laughs) i'm not normally on this side of the mic no it's great to have you you actually kind of know what these are but hopefully forgotten what you poured out my Uh, my short-term memory is not all there but it's uh, yeah (laughs) that's that's the benefit of we are the future and let me tell you it's going to get worse no no the one thing i was thinking while i was pouring these actually that we're missing in blind tasting is a few of them had really notable heads at first some Uh, different carbonation levels some different retention oh by now they're all Good. Uh, oh, I, I I pick up number one and I'm already getting light skunk. Uh, light <laughs> so it's all nice and skunky. Okay, so, so this is actually a good point, which is yeah. uh, the Corona and the Miller High Life. Although Miller High Life is probably very, in, very heavily engineered to avoid skunk, but mm. the Corona and the Estrella Jalisco are both in clear bottles. I mean, come on. 
well, there's a there's a hot product that it has the thing removed, and I right. I, and, I, I uh, imagine that's the High Life that has some that has has the product removed. I don't know if Estrella Jalisco has the same thing. Or I not. don't either. It's got but some that, nice sweetness to it though under under that skunk. Okay, so this tastes like a light lager. Yep. <laughs> yep. That's been sitting. Looks in the like sun. a light lager. It is sweet. You're right. I think sweet is good. Yeah, that's that is a sweet, definitely a sweet one. Uh, all right, I'm going to go in for number two. All right. Okay, so uh, how would you characterize light lagers in general? Light lagers are made uh, with usually an adjunct mm. to further lighten it beyond what Pilsner malt can take you. Yeah. So even lighter than that. Oh, really? Even lighter body. Oh, I didn't know that. Sure. Yeah, it's an it's an fermentable or it's a fermentable. It you know has no color. So. Right. Uh, you can go even lower, and that's why you get these really. Now, is this something clarion. from the German tradition? No, that's a fascinating story, actually. Uh, let me taste two. See, that's why I'm here, man. <laughs> Asking okay. the right questions. I'm having to ask the right questions. <laughs> two does not have two is not light struck. No. Kudos. Two's already winning. Two. two okay. Yeah, that's true. Two is much better than one, and and mm. it's not as sweet. It's got more mm. flavor. Mm. A little bit of a toasty note there. Yeah, mm-hmm. two's actually I'm yeah, kinda, kinda drier. I'm kind of digging on two here. Yeah, it's definitely got more drier malt character, a little toasty. All right, why okay. you, why yeah, you why tell you your that? story? I'm going to go three. So in uh, old America, we had uh, a kind of rough malt, which is known as six-row malt, and we don't need to go into different taxonomies of different malts, but or barleys, I should say. And it was very, um, it had a lot of proteins in it, and so... That didn't matter when the first Germans got over here because they were making Dunkellager, which was what uh, Bavarians made back mm-hmm. in the time. But then Pilsners became popular, and so they started to try to use it with pale malt. And instead of getting these very clarion beers that we got, they right. got these ugly, chunky, nasty-looking beers. Uh, because of the malt. And they couldn't figure out how to get that protein out of there. So mm-hmm. they started cutting them with uh, rice and corn and using lesser amounts of that, and then it clarified. And it was actually more expensive at the time to use rice and corn. Those were more expensive ingredients than but barley. But they did it because of clarity. They did it because of clarity. Ah. It was not because they were cheapskates. Turns out there's a reason to have you around. Now, that one kind of blew the other two out of the water mm. for me. Number three. Number three has a lot of hops. Mm. <laughs> Jeff's suspicious already. <laughs> yeah, number three is not nearly as sweet. Yeah. The, and that's like one one characteristic of these is they usually have hops at an imperceptible level. So this is kind of a... This is a little a more hop forward. So yeah. Yeah, we'll that's, see what three is. Carbonation so, seemed a little heavier, too. Mm. That's, mm. Okay. Will, Will's, you got some chops, man. <laughs> Drink a few beers. <laughs> <laughs> That's the beauty of being a beer person is it takes no. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> takes no prior qualification. <laughs> He's got to drink a lot of beer. Mm. And in Portland, so many people are incredibly smart. We could probably just wander out on the street and grab somebody and have them come in here and they could talk knowledgeably about beer for a while. What's, yeah. what's, what's your background in beer? My background in beer? Oh, well, I think the first beer I ever purchased legally... <laughs> Was a dogfish head raison d'extra? No, mm. no raison d'etre. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. Know, I've always liked this stuff. I guess the first beer I ever accidentally tried was a sip of my father's beer at like age six, and it was a traumatic experience. I thought it was gross for years, but uh, yeah, that's common. Although some people, when they tried their father's beer when they were young, liked it like me. Really? Yeah. Hmm. How old were you? Little six. <laughs> like, I don't know. It all makes here. sense. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, my young son likes to dip his finger in the beer, and he likes to op- opine about it. Uh, but he doesn't particularly like mm. it. But he, but but he actually can sort of 
say things like, "Oh, this is really hoppy," mm-hmm. which oh, kind of which kind of scares me because he's <laughs> only thirteen. So the yeah that the, so the number four now is kind of middle of the road. It's not too sweet. It's so in my memory, High Life is a beer with very little of anything. Yeah, and not objectionable in any way, but yeah. also not a lot to recommend it. So you're thinking maybe that's high. I'm not. I'm, I'm not sure. Very middle of the it road. It could be. It's very middle of the road. It, it, yeah. It's it's yeah. non-distinct. I think I like it better than one or two, though. Yeah, I probably would drink. Seems a little more more balanced. And and three's still the hoppy one. (laughs) All right, so here comes five. Five is. Mm. We should say that they're almost identical in terms of. uh, There's a very slight color variation. Yeah, so close. Uh, The carbonation, the, uh, as Will said, the head is already subsided, but we can see the residual bubbles, and they're similar. I don't know. There's really not a lot of visual cues. Mm. Mm. I kind of like five. Yeah, I kind of like, like five. five too. So five is also a fairly well-rounded. Mm-hmm. It's not particularly sweet. It's got a little bit of character. The malt is again present. I guess. Yep. Since the hop character yeah. in these is so low that you can't really taste it, you're really riding the hop, the malt. You, you get, really are. Yeah. It's, it's and like number one, beyond being uh, light struck, just has the malt doesn't even really taste like malt. It's just sweet. It just tastes it's like sweet. candy. Yeah. And that's not good. Yeah. So we can all agree so far, one is losing. One is, one is losing. Yeah, one is losing. <laughs> I, I kind of like five. Yeah, five I kind of like five too. Five, they're all very clean yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Hmm. Yeah, five. Six has got a little sweet, a little extra sweetness to it, but it also has a little. Well, maybe I'm maybe I'm trying too hard, but <laughs> a slightly rustic malt. Malt huh. taste, but you tell me. Ooh, rustic malt taste. Yeah, I, I'm pushing it. I'm pushing that. Crawled way out on that limb. <laughs> Realize that this is in the boundaries of light lagers here, but got a tiny, possibly a tiny hint of light struck too. Maybe. Yeah, I'm not hint. very sensitive to. No, it. No, I guess it's worth saying that three skunky. of them are in clear bottles, mm-hmm. yes. and the other half are in dark bottles or a can. Mm. <clears throat> Although, yeah, I, I, I suspect that. High that, life has been carefully engineered to go ahead. Yeah, no, that one it, it is light struck. It's very mildly light struck, and there is something kind of characterful underneath that. Thank but you. It, it's a little difficult to uh, rustic. Even would uh, you go as far as no? no. <laughs> no. So do these all have you adjuncts can... in them? We to, to get back to the style. Yeah, good point. Good question. Uh, I don't know. Hmm. Um, they could, but you suspect. You know, in, in, in now in, they don't need them to clarify. So now they just become part of the beer, right? right. Yeah. So at this point, um, these it's, it's it's totally possible to get this character uh, with or without adjuncts. Um, there are a lot of different ways to do it. These breweries will tend to use uh, 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 or or can use uh, enzymes in the mash. Oh yeah, mm. in the mash out. Mm. Um, some of these are going to be uh, a high gravity brewed, which means they'll brew like an eight percent beer, which takes less tank space when you ferment it and then right before bottling you add water back uh this is a way to uh use less space right um an economist understands what i'm yeah. talking about but here. now rice and corn are cheap relative to barley uh or do you know it kind of varies okay. uh i think rice is more expensive and i don't know what corn yeah is. rice is yeah rice takes a lot of huh. i mean that's got to yeah. be more expensive that's kind of surprising to me it seems like just the the, the barley malt production would uh just be a whole nother step in terms of cost but yeah. Uh, okay. So let, we got you. Got to put your money on on the so, line here. So one we all we all hate. <laughs> yeah. One one loses. Uh, 
it's both skunky and sweet and kind of flabby and gross. Yep. Okay. <laughs> I agree. Uh, so, by the way, Ex uh, Novos is yours. I'm sorry, but I'm sure it's not. So, uh, all right. So one one goes down the bottom. If if, if Ex Novo managed to get that light struck from a can, from they're, a can, they're yeah. really working. A local it. can, yeah. That's a choice at that point. Yeah, that, exactly. That, that's a character we're going for. Uh, okay, so where where do we go from here? So I kind of act, I kind of like well, six, by the way. But and we also think that three is an outlier, and probably uh, yeah, and two is. I mean, three is just three's got to be ex novo. That's really yeah. Try two again there. Yeah, that's... try two again. Two is also slightly sweet, not very characterful. I think. I mean, three is three is an, a very nice beer, and um... yeah, yeah, three is a hop, a hop, <laughs> a hop tsunami. Given the other ones, it, I know, <laughs> but it's really nice, and that hop, that hop really balances. I'm guessing that in the absence of that, when you're just comparing it to like the other IPAs they're making, that it feels like, oh, you yeah. have to have a little. You're hops gonna be in there so embarrassed gonna... when that's Corona Extra, baby. <laughs> 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 okay, so one and two are one and two are down the bottom, right? Uh, let me try two. Is this two? That's one. Three we expect is the hot bomb of Ex Novo. <laughs> uh, I re- they're I re- gonna love that. We yeah. call it a hot bomb. <laughs> yeah, four was the one that's nothing. Oh, right, four. And then five and six were pretty good. Mm. I think that's got to be high life. Mm. Yeah. So four you predict is high life. That's that's probably a good call. I don't... I, I, I eliminate six. Six is light struck. But I like six. You can like six. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so we're going to... So three is a special category. Three is the hoppy. So I'm going to go... Six is light struck, but I still think that it has rustic character, Jeff. So I'm going to go for six and then five, but you probably go, what, five, six? Or maybe you don't go six at all. I kind of like two. Oh, two. That's it. An outlier, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. It's a little sweet, but it has a character. No, I like five better, though. They're, they're yes, two, you and, do. two and five are kind of similar, uh, but. Uh, in that they have a little toast in the malt. Yes, I think they both. The five has toast. more malt character. Mm-hmm. It does have more malt character. Yeah. I agree. Okay, so well, I reveal the answers. So let's let's so, figure out what we're, what we're so, talking about now. Well, just to, for for full humiliation purposes, I'm going to predict that. Uh, okay. That uh, three is definitely we think ex novo. Yes. I I think that is for the for the one that doesn't taste like anything. I think that's high life. Yes, that's right. And uh, of course, since it's my since it's my favorite, I believe that. Five is Pacifico. Uh, Pacifico. Okay. So and will go. well. <laughs> uh oh, that doesn't sound good. Maximum humiliation. Yep. Number three was Ex Novo. Yes. All right. Number four was Pacifico. Interesting. Like anything. Number one, which was very skunked, was the Corona. Yeah, so I, I think would've... the clear bottle uh, kind of gave away. Yeah, I think that's kind of famous that it's off that it's skunk. skunk. I, mean, I feel like that's almost the flavor profile people yeah. are after with it. I, I, I see it would go well with a that's lime. The, that's the Corona Extra. The, yeah, because yeah. the Corona Familiar, by the way, just yes. for listeners who can't see, is in a brown brown bottle, bottle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and that was number five. So oh, that was one we liked more. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I would seek out a six pack of that one yeah. for yeah. a barbecue. Yeah. yeah. Well, now I know that the Familiar is where to go. Where to go? Okay. All right. Familiar was unfamiliar. Uh, Number six was the Estrella. Uh huh. Okay. Number two was the High Life. Two, the one that I kind of (laughs) liked. That was that was definitely my most drank college beer. 
Yeah, I, we we I drank Narragansett, but uh, I will say that of the light lagers that I drank when I was, um, let's just say, well, I was in Wisconsin at the time, so it was pretty much legal. Uh, <laughs> was the choice like High Life was what we always got, but we were also growing up in Wisconsin, Wisconsin so you gotta yeah. you gotta like that over Bud. Right, I'm gonna pour out a little bit more of this Ex Novo. Uh, so remind me again, Will, what was six? Number six was the Estrella. 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 So I was I, that was the one that I claimed I. Th- but you you said that it was skunky, so you're two for two with the clear bottles and skunk. Yeah. The nose, nose. Way to go. <laughs> you yeah, are the that, they went, it was subtler so, with the light. So that's good, video. but I actually kind of like the Estrella Jalisco. Uh, I thought that it had a little bit of rustic character to it. Well, it, it, it did in that it was light struck. I will Mexico. There's two takeaways here for me. Okay. One is that- you Never uh, put it in a, light, in a clear bottle. Uh yeah, or, or use use whatever High Life hot product High Life uses yes. because that's obviously High Life. The High Life one did not taste light light struck no, at all. Careful, no, carefully engineered to avoid yeah skunk. Yep, very good for them. Uh, but I think one thing I wanted to see was did the High Life stand out as different? You know, good point. N- noticeably different, yeah. and it, it really didn't. No, really? no, not at all. It was these beers are very which similar. is kind of depressing. So basically, saying that the Mexican light lagers are essentially North American light lagers. We can basically clump them all into one. I think we can. I mean, I think oh, they're just basically. Um, you know, if you love that beautiful label like I do, by God, I'm going to keep drinking it. Although the familiar. Uh, yeah. I, oh, I'm holding up for the for the for the people who can't see that I'm holding up the Pacifico. Yes, the Pacifico. With its beautiful yellow label. Remind me again, Will, which which number was Pacifico? Pacifico was the number four. Number four. It was yes. the one that had no flavor. Yeah, it's the one we all just kind of like. Eh. I, I got it. It's yeah. nothing. <laughs> well, that's really <laughs> just too bad, Jeff. It goes to uh, show marketing matters. Yeah. Uh, put a good label on a beer, and you get kudos. So perhaps our listeners can tell us exactly what is the deal with. Corona Familiar. As I said, when I looked it up, I couldn't find too much reliable information, but it sounded like it was the one you get locally. And it seems like maybe they're the way that's packaged and looks like. Uh, uh, does that mean the the beer with most fine? La cerveza más fina. But by the way, it's both on extra and oh, on Familiar. me is the best beer. Yeah. Which one though? The best beer. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so wait a minute. So I got to pour this in the right glass. So this was five. Uh, number... Yeah, that was, that was five. Yes, correct. All right. So I'm going to do a taste off between, well, one skunked and one's not. So that's not fair. And then Corona Extra was two. Corona Extra was one. Oh, oh that's right. It was the worst. <laughs> okay. Now, now to, to reveal the other thing, the uh, Ex Novo had a really intense head uh, that actually lasted longer than the others, it seemed. Oh, that's interesting because isn't, don't hops kind of suppress head? Is that right? The opposite. Oh, oh yeah, that's they, uh, perfect. Exactly yeah. what you'd expect with a hoppy beer. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to have you yeah. by my side, Jeff. So, anyway, the reason I poured out the two Coronas because I wanted to know whether there's any real difference in, what do you guys think, in color and appearance. Yeah, yeah I think maybe the five is a little darker. Maybe. maybe. But just like surly. Barely. So I don't know what really, maybe it's just the bottle that matters. <laughs> you really, <laughs> ought, to put it, keeps it from you really ought to put it in a brown bottle and not in a... <laughs> yeah. Well, you definitely should. If you're not going to use that hot product, what, I mean, the thing is some people like the skunkiness. You know, there was a long period of time where uh, European green bottled beer had the skunk flavor and it was considered the flavor profile for many people. And, mm. and then... Um, 
when they came out in cans and stuff, they complained like it doesn't taste like Heineken. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I have to say this Corona Familiar Excuse me. is not half bad. It's not half bad. It's I would drink Corona Familiar. Now that I know. But I don't think now you can find it very Yeah, where did where did you find that? Yeah. Fred Meyer. Oh. A little a little obscure <laughs> bodega they know as known as Fred Meyer. Member of the Kroger chain if you're in other parts of the US. That's right. Uh, <laughs> and but uh, my mm-hmm. selection process, just for the listeners, is uh, I purchase single bottles from uh, containers that would allow that so i didn't want to have to buy six packs or everything there were a lot more mexican lagers that we could have gone by the way this is another interesting question for the mailbag which is that in oregon it's a tradition that you can just grab a single bottle out of a sixer that's true sometimes you can a little you're 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 on the edge a little bit farther if you just grab a a can off a six pack but yeah i don't think you're allowed to do that. but but for for bottles it's totally a thing you can just grab a single bottle out of a six pack and go or you can start mixing and matching your six packs yeah they have a barcode if they have a barcode you're good i don't know if individual cans let's have a look does. it does yeah they generally have individual barcodes but but you're kind of you might be getting the wrath of the retailer there but in oregon it's been a thing and it's been a thing for decades where you can just grab bottles and mix and match and stuff, and and uh, I think it's fading out a bit. It is, but fading us old timers, <laughs> old timers will do it. Yeah, back when craft beer was new, everybody would just buy singles, and then you would, yeah. you know, so eventually the, it would get to the last bottle and the last, you know, it would be like one bottle, and that guy would take it, and you. Yeah, and as a and beer buyer in Portland, you had to be really careful because if you grab the six pack yeah. of what you thought was all, <laughs> you know, Widmere Hefe, let's say, because. of Curtain. Recent, yeah. recent uh, yeah. pods. Uh, you got to look actually through the individual bottle. Make sure oh my nobody... God! There's upheaval. Yeah, because they exchange them. Right, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, well, there you go. Anyway, uh, yeah, I don't think Corona Familiar is something that I find in, in my local restaurant. You just find the extra. So, I'll tell you if you ever want to uh, understand um, uh, when people talk about calibrating their palate, mm-hmm. it's a thing that uh, brewers will do or people will do when they're uh, beginning to taste. It's like doing a white a white test or whatever that's called for mm-hmm. uh, things. The calibration that happens here is so fascinating because I've had uh, the most interesting lager in the world a few times from Ex Novo. You've and never I'll, noticed the hops. No, I've <laughs> always thought, oh man, it's such a great Mexican lager. It tastes exactly like all the others. And now it's like, holy Lord, that's just a <laughs> titan of flavor. It's <laughs> blowing my head off. Mm. Yeah, it's got a light, nice little spice to it. It's really it's nice. Spice. The, the hops are just... Yeah, they pop and they... And it's a, it's just a really nice uh, a nice take on a Mexican lager, but you know, I don't yeah. think that one does use corn, if I remember right from reading the label. I think yeah, I think you're right. I, I think right. they do as sort of part of the. Yeah, it doesn't say. Although I don't taste anything particularly corny. Yeah, I mean, uh, some some as we know from the latest corn wars, sometimes people just use corn syrup which is basically sugar, so it ferments out. And other other uh, people use flaked corn. There's a process called cereal mashing, where you take regular corn and you have to prepare it. Uh, the mash is a process of enzymatic conversion. Yeah. And in order to... That process with malted grain happens in the malt house. But uh, in order to prepare corn, you have to cereal mash it or have it be flaked or so in some other way make it possible for those sugars to be... Uh, broken down so that right. they're accessible. So right. there's a thing called cereal mashing, which is really long and complex. And what character does that add to the beer? 
Like if you did it that way. It's possible to add a corn character, and I think it, it's easiest if you start with uh, the actual corn, and it's probably, my guess is, if you're able to not completely convert the corn, then you're mm. going to extract more corny flavors from mm. it. I mean, when I think of corn, like when I eat corn, I think of sort of more gluteny, sweetie. Mm -hmm. Is that what? When I did my, um, when I did the beer Bible, we did a big taste-off. Uh, Sally and I did this big blind tasting of all these international beers, light mm -hmm. lagers. Which was actually very fascinating, and that's when I realized I loved Sapporo. Uh, but we had a Miller Genuine Draft, and that sucker tasted like <laughs> corn. It was just <laughs> crazy corn-like, and uh, that really stuck out. So there are some of them that just taste very corny. Uh, I will admit that that was the beer of my high school experience. I don't think I've had a, an actual just, just standard ordinance Miller. The high life kind of dominated my... Uh... Yeah, it seems like genuine draft. Does it? Is it? It was a anymore? thing. It, it was, was a thing, a thing right. It was a thing right when I was in high school, and it became my sort of go-to beer. Yeah, it existed as late as whatever. Although that was later 20. on, it became more sophisticated. And when we would try to go to the beer store and pretend we were of age, it was <laughs> Heineken because if you're buying Heineken, that you're classy. Yeah, exactly. You're a discriminating man. Of so we ended up we ended up drinking a lot of Heineken because of that. Uh, I mean, well into the '90s, yeah, it was routine that people thought Heineken was like this crazy, strong, robust beer, and yeah. I think yeah. it's worth noting, by the way, that if memory serves, and those people who can go back into the archives of the podcast can, can confirm, but I think Modelo won our first Mexican beer taste off. Did we do another Mexican beer? Are we just repeating ourselves? Like. <laughs> I forget everything. No, next no, that's time the beautiful. That's the beauty of 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 having aging minds. I know it's all new to us. Uh, <laughs> and next week, Mexican loggers. <laughs> What's the deal with them? Uh, no, I mean we didn't do a deep dive. We didn't do a deep dive into Mexican loggers, but we did taste uh, light loggers. I think, and, and and so I think we added some Mexican with North American. I don't remember. You I guys see. can tell me, but, well. but but I do remember that Modelo was the one that that I liked. I remember the most at that point. Huh. So I, don't, I have no memory of that. So all right, there it is. So Estrella Jalisco was was Will was the younger, one, so he should six. remember. I, yeah. I I hardly remembered which ones were which that, on the way down. <laughs> yeah. So so Corona Familiar was was the winner for most of us. I also kind of like the Estrella Jalisco, although you called it skunky. It was. It's from a clear bottle, so that's probably a bad thing. Don't buy that. Don't lightly. Yeah. It was definitely less skunk than the Corona Extra. And then, do we all like the X-No? I love the X-No. I love the X-No. Yeah, okay. like yeah. it, was, it was like, oh, not fair. Way too good. <laughs> Way too obvious. Yeah. <laughs> it was the outlier. Yeah. All right. We had to keep, I mean, there was some chance that was going to be the familiar. And so you ha I was keeping an open mind. But yeah. All right. Was... So you have, a, you have a note here, by the way, before we, before we end our Mexican beer component, you should mention this because uh, this is fascinating. Talk about Mexican beer and prohibition. Oh, yeah. That was mm. cool. That was a big deal. So. Uh, prohibition comes to the United States, but not to Mexico. And if you right. look at a map of where breweries are located, you'll notice that a lot of them are located on in border towns. Right. And the reason it's not hard to figure out is because um, Americans were racing across the border to buy beer. And actually, it it not only uh, was useful for the breweries located there, but even the border towns themselves. Those border towns really prospered during prohibition, and a lot of the breweries got located there. Uh, I assume. Uh, that there was a fair amount of people going back across the border with with uh, cases of beer as well. Um, but anyway, so that was that was one way that Mexican beer first got to the United States. So it kind of juiced the Mexican beer industry was yeah. prohibition in the United States allowed this gave this big opportunity for Mexican breweries to establish and 
And so there you go. There you go. And <clears throat> I think another takeaway, if while we're, we have lessons learned here, we we talk in next week's pod <laughs> about uh, uh, about um, your, your mind is just too old for this. I know it's it's. <laughs> <laughs> Jump in between the past, present, yeah, and future. I know the past, <laughs> present, and future. The um, the temporal shifts. Uh, we were talking about. Um, we have talked about Kona Brewing and its great brand uh, being this this liquid Aloha thing and and the Hawaiian deal, and what a what a powerful kind of uh, branding technique that is. And I think it's pretty clear that Mexican lagers are indistinguishable from American lagers, but they're just somehow more attractive to. Hold a cool, I mean, like this Australia. I'm glad you guys corrected me on that. Jalisco bottle is, you know, looks foreign, looks cool, reminds you of exotic foreign lands. Yeah. Even, so, even the cap was nice, nice little star. Somewhere, but. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and on going out, just tell me, we, we actually did a pod in the past about this, but you had a deep dive into Mexican craft beer. Right. So tell me what they, that I do remember. So remind me where Mexican craft beer takes its influence and, and where they're going. If this is the sort of, you know, uh, we think of American craft beer as an antidote to, to uh, U.S. macro light lager. So, so tell me about Mexican craft beer real quickly. Yeah, uh, it, it reminds me a lot of uh, American craft beer in the 1980s. They were really into English style, so there's a lot of porters and stouts and pale ales. Right. But there's also a tradition, a much stronger tradition in uh, craft brewing in Mexico for light lagers. Right. Uh, and, and actually, not these kinds of light lagers, but more like pilsners, like classic pilsners, mm -hmm. but lagers. Right. And so that's running concurrently with these other kinds of interests uh, uh, in, in, in different styles. And of course, they're, they're influenced by America, so there's uh, IPAs as yeah. well, uh, particularly in Baja. And I think we don't know, right? We, we, uh, when the United States started brewing, we copied Europe. We made English lager, English ales, and German lagers, and right. and and then eventually we de developed our own thing. And and Mexico is coming out of a very similar tradition that we are, and uh, they'll do whatever. So they do. how they'll evolve is still yet to be written. Totally. I mean, one thing we didn't really talk about. I think it's a critically important part of the whole Mexican thing is, and you alluded to it. There's only two major companies that produce these light lagers. So all these beers, we could have had, there's probably like, I don't know, at least a dozen major brands that we could have had here. Right, right. They're all owned by two companies. Right, uh, which is? Modelo. Modelo. And, and the other one is a really long, like, Mayan name that I can't ever <laughs> pronounce. Um, so, uh, yeah, somebody will know what that is. So they're all part of the same. Yeah, and so that means that there's massive consolidation uh, has happened in Mexico at, a, at an extreme level that we didn't even have uh, in the United States. By the way, the Pacifico and the Corona both say they're brewed in Nava, Mexico. There you go. So there you go. Uh, probably at the same plant. Well, I don't know. Corona says it's Cervezaria Modelo. This one does not. Pacifico mm. does not. It says Cervezaria de... Oh, boy. This is where my old eyes... Coachula, uh, I think, but it's very small type in my own defense. Yeah. So the craft brewers up against this incredibly tight consolidated market. Yeah. And actually, one of the big lessons that I took away was it wasn't even really possible to have craft beer there until they changed the laws and allowed yes. craft brewers access to the market, which right. they really didn't have. <clears throat> That's similar to Brazil, where most of the relationships are tied relationships in retail yeah. outlets. So if you go to a restaurant, they'll serve one brand of beer, Brahma, for example. Mm -hmm. That's it. You get Brahma, 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 and nothing else. I think you really have to work to seek out the... Uh, the craft brewers yeah 
All right. Well, we should. Yeah, we, we should, should move uh, on from Mexican beer. So that's so it's sort of interesting, but also a little sad that I, there's not a, a distinctive characteristic between Mexican light lager and and uh, uh, and uh, U.S. light lagers. Yeah. All right. It's so let's all, move. It's all arc, it's all marketing, man. Everything's marketing. <laughs> and, and, and you here, by the way, say "ay caramba." Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> that was just a note for you. Yeah, and you even have the little uh, exclamation points inverted yeah. at the beginning. And all. Okay, very good. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so let's move to the mailbag. Yep. Uh, should I take the first one? Yeah, and this is a, re- a correction. I don't think we've had corrections. Yeah, this is brilliant. Yeah. So this is Pete Dunlop. We know Pete. Hi, Pete. Yeah, Pete, just to give a little bit of background, wrote a book on the history of Portland beer. So his correction comes from a place of knowledge and education. Yes. So he corrects us and says, at one point, <clears throat> in the, I think this was with Kurt Widmer. Yep. You said that McMinimins started brewing in 1986. Not so. They started brewing at the Hillsdale Pub in the fall of 1985, just months after the brew pub legislation became law. And so this little personal history can be intertwined with this, which is that Jeff and I met each other in the fall of 1986 at Lewis and Clark College, which is a stone's throw from the Hillsdale Pub. Uh, which is one of the early haunts um, once we became of age. Uh, yes, once we became of age. <laughs> but, uh, and I was asking you, and, and neither of us could confirm 100%, but uh, I remember, I have uh, a little kernel of memory that uh, John Harris, uh, who is a local brewery, who, uh, a local brewer of uh, some uh, legend we've talked about many times, uh, got his start at the Hillsdale Brew Pub, but we'll have to ask John. That's right. He, or, or Pete. Pete could tell us. He definitely got started at McMinimins, and there weren't yeah. that many, so he got started early, and yeah, so probably so. Yeah, so this was, so in 1985 is when the law got changed in, the, in, in Oregon that allowed for the whole brew pub revolution. So thanks, Pete, for the correction. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. You can buy his book, too. You should do it. It's good. Actually, a, a remarkable history of Portland brewing, uh, the history of, of beer in Portland, which is a long and interesting history. So, check and that also out. fundamental in the, the history of craft beer in the U.S. That's right. Our second thing comes via Twitter. Also, our first question via Yay. Twitter. So, uh, thank you. It comes from the Hoppy Tourist. I actually went to the Hoppy Tourist's website to try to find out who's behind the Hoppy Tourist to give that person credit. Uh, there is no name associated with it, so we're just going to go with Hoppy Tourist. Um, and the Comment question is, with today's emphasis on IPAs, what are some excellent executions of lesser drunk and lesser known styles, breweries making them, and beers to try for yourselves? So do you have a... I hope you're prepared for this one. Well, you have some some, uh, suggestion, Uh, surely, although you are kind of an IPA guy. Well, I am an IPA guy, and I love IPAs, but you also know my my other passion, which is uh, English, traditional English ales, which have kind of... Uh, it's funny because that's sort of how craft beer started in the U.S. and now they've just become an afterthought. And so it's actually very hard to find sort of good traditional English-style ale. You and I got to go out to the level. Uh, yeah. Okay, so you can tell us that. I was about to say Machine House right. in Seattle. What more, they're really Is all in. the bomb. <laughs> and if you can find it locally, good for you because it's just absolutely astounding, uh, astoundingly good uh, versions of just regular bitters, extra special bitter, mild, milds. Yeah, yeah. So um, that for me, uh, uh, that's a lesser drink and lesser known style these days. It sounds weird to say, uh, and that's an excellent uh, version of that. What about you? Yeah, I think Belgium really got left behind the whole Belgian tradition and it's it's beer like it's that. Funny because it was so big for a while. 
Yeah, it, it, it's true. Uh, so th- there are breweries that I go back to that, that still focus on Belgian ales, and you know they're around the country. I think Omegang is probably the most well-known right. on the East Coast. If you're on the East Coast, Omegang makes great beer. If you've kind of forgotten about them, you should you know, track down a bottle and have that. It's great stuff. Uh, we have some breweries that kind of do that sort of stuff out here. Uh, Freem, Upright, uh, mm-hmm. others. And, um, and actually... This makes an excellent transition to the Sherpa. Should I go right there? Oh, yeah. You're Boom. the pro, man. Go. All right. My Sherpa is... Speaking of? A Belgian style. Nice. Um, Little uh, Beast is a newish brewery founded by Chuck, Ta- uh, Chuck Porter here in Portland, Oregon. <laughs> I like the Chuck Taylor. Chuck that Taylor, was good. You should have yeah. gone with them first. And <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> makes good shoes and good beer, baby. That's right. <laughs> uh, he mostly makes, he's mostly known for his, his, his wild beers. Right. But he makes, and I was able to try yesterday, just in fact, uh, a Belgian Dark Strong, mm. which is remarkable. And the reason it's remarkable is because he has a, he uses a secret ingredient, a sugar source that he explained and, and forbade me to reveal. Okay. Uh, and it it provides this beer with a really distinctive uh, chocolatey flavor, which is huh. kind of unlike the Belgians. I right. mean, it's it's very very much a Belgian beer. It's yeast driven. It tastes like a Belgian beer, except this flush of chocolate right in the middle, which is so delicious. So this beer is available on if you're in Portland. It's available. Uh, at the brewery and probably only at the brewery. So sorry, everybody who doesn't live in Portland, but it's a great beer. And if you do live in Portland, by God, get down there. Right. Uh, and then, and then, Little Beast is a great brewery too. So try something else. Yeah, you 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 brought me there one night for a very memorable no- uh, evening of tasting of just really outstanding Belgian beers. Yeah, Belgian style beers. Excuse me. Right. Okay, so that's the mailbag and the Sherpa all in one. That's brilliant. Uh, so now we got to talk about uh, how to get in touch. Uh, you can uh, wait a minute before we get in touch. We gotta we gotta uh, beg for you to subscribe to us. So subscribe. IT- yeah, you gotta subscribe. You gotta go to iTunes. You gotta go to SoundCloud or wherever you get your favorite. Or you ever get your podcast? Oh my gosh! Uh, and don't forget to rate us while you're there. Yay! Five rate stars. Us. Uh, <laughs> that helps us. That helps listeners find the show. Uh, all, all good things. We'd love to hear from you. Um, thank you very much for sending your comments and questions. Please continue to send us your questions and comments you can send them at uh, to jeff at beervanablog.com this is what happens when we try to <laughs> record back to back we got beer tastings both of us or you can visit us on social media uh, you can find us at beervana at the beervana blog facebook page done you got through it man uh wait a minute jeff blogs at beervana blog and he tweets at at beervana patrick tweets at beeronomics all right. And there we go. So yeah. now which one are you going to pick? Uh, yeah, I see that you got the X Nova. Well, you can have the X Nova. I was just the one that was right next to me. Which one did I like? I liked Was yeah. it 6? No, 5. 6 was the five. All right, yeah, 5 is the familiar. familiar. Okay, so I'll go X Nova, you go familiar. Excellent. All right. <laughs> we have these nice plastic cups. They're going to make a wonderful tink. All oh, right. Let's yes. go hard. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cheers, Jeff. Cheers, Patrick. <laughs>